0: In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. I'd ask uh, all our teens, we're we're lacking in youth in this service, so any of our teens up through 12th grade, please come forward. I won't embarrass you, I promise. So um, you got as far away from me as you could, didn't you, Marion? So today we're starting a, a series on what heaven is all about. Tell me what you think about heaven. What, what is heaven? What, is it, what does it look like? What's it for? Don't be, don't be timid, I won't embarrass you, I promise. What does it look like? It's cold. Oh, cold. I thought you said, I already embarrassed you it's gold oh, gold and what else what else about heaven do you know perfect do, do you know anything in this life that's perfect no heaven is perfect there do you have any suggestions any ideas images you think humans make up what? Hmm? Oh image we make up images of what heaven might look like someday, right? Yeah, we do. Well, those are good answers. And, 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 and we believe what you're saying is, is right. Um, have, you, have, you about, have you been to heaven? I don't know. Have you been to heaven? I haven't. I haven't been to heaven yet. You haven't been to heaven? Have you been to India? Have you been to Egypt? Me either, i bet you could describe a whole lot more about egypt and india right than you could about heaven because egypt and india is real but heaven is uh uh-oh what not real more real maybe right but but we're not able to really see all of heaven right now the neat thing i think is is when we live this life and we really strive to follow the lord we we begin to see little glimpses of heaven along the way in our relationships with other people, um, the way God, uh, God's Holy Spirit works in our lives, and we might see a miracle, that's a, that's a glimpse of heaven. That's God working in this natural order, and he does all the time, I promise you. But so we get little sparks of heaven. But, we, but we're, one day we will be with God in heaven, and I think that the thing we need to do is to, to read up in the Bible what heaven is like, because it, on earth, we're only, look, look here, on earth we're only spending this much time in heaven we're going to spend time that has no end we're going to be in heaven forever and ever with god uh, and we have to figure out what helps us to get to heaven and and why god loves us so much and what god is preparing for us and what that's going to look like so it's best to start studying up on it right now saint john in his gospel um and in and, and in the last book of the bible revelation saint john wrote he was Exiled for being a Christian, he was sent off to an island, and um, and he had this great vision of heaven and God. And he walks through this open door, and he tells us all about heaven. So I want to encourage you to read about that vision and and see what John says about that. Because again, if we're going to spend um, a great deal of eternity in our lives in in heaven, right? We We better. We better kind of start seeing what it's all about. I think all of us, not just you two, all of us. And so today, we're gonna start talking about that a little bit for the next three weeks. Um, Any questions that you have to me about heaven? No? Okay. All right, thank you for being here. Thank you for coming up. I need a help. Oh, thank you, Jason. (laughs) Oh, you almost missed. (laughs) But those of you who are guests, um, the congregation insists that I tell a joke that might or might not have anything to do with the sermon before the sermon begins. And so I'm sorry, I apologize right now, but here goes. <laughs> there's, this, there's this daddy who teased his little daughter about, by suggesting to her that she liked a certain boy in her kindergarten class. And the little girl was quite indignant. No, daddy, I don't like him, she said. He's only interested in one thing. The daddy was shocked, cautiously asked what that one thing might be. And the little girl said, daddy, Paw Patrol, of course. Paw Patrol. Okay, come on, guys. That one thing, okay. They might start insisting that I don't tell jokes. Baby shark? Baby shark next time. As I've mentioned in uh, the Rector's Voice email, if you're not not receiving that email, let me know and I'll put you on the email list. I send it out every week. And then a couple weeks ago in my sermon, I mentioned how one of the great Anglican thinkers, C.S. Lewis, who by the way died on the very same day as JFK uh, and he didn't get much recognition because of that, all that attention on John F. Kennedy. Um, But he said that the the Christians who are least effective in ministry are those who do not have their eyes on heaven. The Christians who are least effective in ministry are those who do not have their eyes on heaven. I paraphrase that, but that's what he said. So today, I begin this three-week series on the subject of heaven. And as I just mentioned in the children's, uh, the teens' sermon today, uh, St. John the Evangelist um, wrote in chapter 21, I'll begin by reading this, uh, verses 1 through 5, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Then St. John wrote, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, the voice from the throne, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Back in 1952, a young woman named Florence Chadwick, she stepped off Catalina Island into the Pacific Ocean. Her goal was to swim to the shore of mainline California some 21 miles away. It was foggy, it was chilly. She could barely see the other boats alongside her. Florence swam for 15 years Hours, She begged to be taken out of the water, but her mother in the boat right alongside her told her, she could make it, you can make it, you can make it. And finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she gave up and she stopped swimming, and they pulled her out of the water. And then when Florence Chadwick was on the boat, she discovered the truth. The shore was less than a half mile away. She was 98% of the way home. At a news conference the next day, she said this, all I could see was the fog. I think I could have, if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. I think that most of us can relate to these words. We live our lives in a fog of trouble, worry, doubt, depression, health problems, unemployment financial uncertainty, strained relationships, loss of loved ones. Yes, of course, we have wonderful times of joy and celebration, but let's face it, we live in a world of struggle, of suffering, of death. Our problems may be small compared to some, especially those who suffer through things like buildings falling down in Florida or earthquakes or terrorism or famine or persecution or tsunamis. But some of us here have faced personal earthquakes, have faced emotional tsunamis just this past year. All of these things create a fog and it becomes difficult for us to see in front of us. We end up focusing on the fog because we can't see the shore. And sometimes we feel like giving up because we don't have the strength to stay afloat any longer. But let me tell you something. This is where the people of God throughout the ages had a source of strength and perspective that for some reason we don't talk about that much these days. And I'm talking again about heaven. Heaven was their north star by which they could navigate their lives. It was their reference point. But you know what? Heaven has fallen off our radar screens these days. We don't know where we are, and we don't talk about where we're going. The Apostle Paul faced tremendous hardship, beatings, imprisonment. And listen to what Paul said to the church in Philippi in chapter 3. He said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press onward toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul knew where he was going. He was moving heavenward. You know, as a runner sets his eyes On the finish line, Paul set his eyes on heaven. Paul was able to see the shore. My prayer is that in this sermon series, God would help us to see the shore, to keep our eyes fixed on the finish line, that heaven might become as real in our thinking as it truly is. The Bible tells us plain and simple that if we know and believe in Jesus Christ, we are headed toward heaven, a world where there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. God will wipe away every tear from every eye. That world awaits us on the other side of all this fog that surrounds us. Consider Florence Chadwick's words once again. I think If I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. For Christians, that shore is a person called Jesus and a place called heaven. We are made for a person and a place. Jesus is the person, heaven is the place. For every Christian, these are the reference We cannot separate them. We can't get heaven without getting Jesus, and we can't get Jesus without getting heaven. Again, the fact is, we live in a world that is broken, terribly broken, and we cannot fix this world. But the Bible promises us that Christ isn't going to leave this world broken. He's going to fix it permanently so that it will never break again. And Christ is not just going to fix our spirits, he's going to fix our bodies. I know my body needs fixing. I know my mind needs fixing. But you know what? He's not just going to fix us as individuals, he's also going to fix society. He's going to fix humanity, our relationships, our work, our recreation, our arts, our culture. And he's not just going to fix society, he's going to fix the earth itself. Nature and forests and the animal kingdom, he's going to fix all of it, right? God's redemptive plan is far, far bigger than we can begin to imagine. If you're a Christian, if you've repented and confessed your sin. If you've asked Jesus to be your savior, if you're being nourished by the sacrament and the word of God, then heaven awaits you on the other side of death. It's just that simple. So let's go to the first question. What is heaven and where is heaven? Well, we believe that God is everywhere, but heaven is the special dwelling place of God. Heaven is not God, and God is not heaven. There's confusion on this point, because God's special dwelling place, it will change, according to the scriptures. Therefore, heaven will be relocated. First, there is the place where Christians go when we die, which some theologians call the intermediate heaven. This is the heaven that exists before the return of Christ, before the resurrection of our bodies, before the curse is lifted from this present world. This is the heaven that exists right now. If I were to die today, this is the heaven I would go to. Second, there is a place we will live after the return of Christ, after the resurrection, the eternal heaven, and there will be a new earth. Christians agree that the Bible teaches that there will be a new earth. Listen to the Apostle Peter in his second letter, chapter 3. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Now, here's the question. Are you looking forward to that new physical universe characterized by righteousness? This verse assumes we're all looking forward to that. And naturally we would be, yet many of us never think about it. Let's talk about this place that theologians call the intermediate heaven, where Christians temporarily go when we die. Listen to this. Jesus said to the repentant thief on the cross. Remember Jesus was hanging on the cross. There was someone on both sides. One of those was a thief. And Jesus says to the thief, Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. First of all, notice the immediacy today. Not eventually. We're not talking soul sleep for a long time. The person who dies immediately, consciously, goes to be with Jesus. Think about this. What could the thief do to earn his way to heaven? Nothing. He couldn't give money. He couldn't work in a soup kitchen. He couldn't go on a mission trip. He couldn't get baptized. He had nothing to offer God. And we have nothing to offer God, but God has everything to offer us. This salvation thing that we talk about is one-sided. Other religions, they have people working their way to God or to wherever. But the Bible tells us that we can't do that because it depends on Christ's righteousness, not on yours or mine. Jesus offered the thief paradise. And at that very moment, what Jesus was doing on the cross was purchasing, paying for paradise for that thief and for each and every one of us. This word for paradise means a place of great natural beauty. Yet many Christians don't think this way about heaven. They think of it as some vague, mystical place unsuitable for human beings, that it's largely disconnected from this life. One woman, she wrote, I've been a Christian since I was, since I was five. I'm married to a youth minister. When I was seven, a teacher at my Christian school told me that when I get to heaven, I would not know anyone or anything from earth. I was terrified of dying. She writes, it's been really hard for me to advance in my Christian walk because of this fear of heaven and eternal life. Quick question, who would you suspect would be behind making a Christian terrified of dying, fearful of heaven and eternal life? Who has that kind of motive? Who has that kind of opportunity? Well, the answer of course is the devil who was evicted from heaven, whom Jesus called the father of lies. He wants us to find no joy in our anticipation of heaven. He wants us to have no motive to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people, that Jesus went to the cross so that we could be with him in heaven forever. The devil doesn't want us to do that. And so we quit talking about it. We quit thinking about heaven one pastor friend of mine he said to me whenever i think about heaven it makes me depressed and i thought wow he said i'd rather cease to exist when i die i can't stand the thought of endless boring tedium heaven doesn't sound much better than hell he said this man at least he was being honest he'd been to seminary but he picked up a view of heaven that is not in the bible but you know what it is out there in the culture And it is in the church, that view. Like the Far Side cartoon where a man is in heaven sitting doing nothing on a cloud and he says to himself, oh, I wish I brought a magazine. (laughs) Who would want to go to a place like that? Who would want to share the gospel telling people they can go to a boring, dreadful place? The Apostle Paul, who according to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, had actually been caught up into heaven, he says of himself. I was caught up into the heavens, into paradise. And he said to Timothy in his second letter, the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And the Greek translation for that phrase, the time has come for my departure is the word analusis, which means something like pulling up the tent, tent stakes so you can take off, right? Or untying a ship from the dock so that you can set sail or maybe unchaining a prisoner so you can be free. This is a very positive picture. The time has come for my departure. You see, death is not a black hole where we will disappear. Death is a doorway. It's not an end to life, but a passing to a new life. The best is not behind us if we know Jesus. The best by far is ahead of us. Early in the second century, around 125 AD, a Greek philosopher, Aristides, a non-Christian, wrote to his king about the behavior of Christians. He says, if any righteous man among the Christians passes from this world, They rejoice and they offer thanks to God and they escort his body with songs and thanksgiving as if he were setting out from one place to another nearby. You see, that's what we believe as Christians. And listen to the author of Hebrews. Since the children have flesh and blood, Christ too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him Who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. What a promise that is! Christ Christ came to deliver us from the fear of death. Why should we fear death? Listen to Isaiah, Old Testament, chapter 25. God will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. And then St. Paul confirms this in his letter to the church at Corinth. The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. And then the saying that is written, it will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? You see, death will not win. Death will die. Death will be reversed. This is the promise of resurrection. Not that we will be disembodied spirits but that we will be physical and spiritual people. We believe in the resurrection of the body. Saint Cyprian said in the third century, let us greet the day which assigns each of us to his own home, which snatches us from this place and sets us free from the snares of the world and restores us to paradise and the kingdom. Anyone who has been in foreign lands longs to return to his own native land. And then he writes, we regard paradise as our native land. Now let me say this and I'll finish for the day. God has built into each of us a nostalgia for the the world that once was. The world before sin, the world before the curse, the world before death, the world before suffering. We are homesick for Eden, for its beauties, and pleasures, and health, and its vibrant relationship with God. The Bible clearly tells us that our citizenship is in heaven, and that heaven is our home. Now, I hope I've said enough to whet your appetite for more information about heaven next week and I will be talking a whole lot more about the new earth. If you know of anyone who desperately needs hope and vision about our eternal destiny, in fact, I was talking to someone this morning who has a friend who probably needs to hear that message, then invite them to join us next week for part two of this three-part series. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.